Amen. Thank you for that. Uh, let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. Uh, we're going to look at chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Easiest way to find that is if you'll go to uh, Psalms and then Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, then Song of Solomon. And uh, we're going to read uh, first seven verses of the second chapter. Do we have an Ahab? We do? Okay. Let's stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. Uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, and verse 1. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. So is the apple tree among the trees of the wood. So is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under a shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose and by the hinds of the field, that you stir not up, nor awake my love, till he please. And if you look back at verse 4, he brought me to the banqueting house. He brought me to the banqueting house. This is an amazing thought. All right, let's pray before we begin. Our Father, we yield your spirit. Pray that he'd help us to preach and hear the word. Help us to truly reflect in thy great love, in fellowship, in acceptance, self-esteem, and the banqueting house to know what this means. We pray that we would have a true humility and a gratitude from the heart Help us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. In this text, and there's other texts, we have a correlation between the banqueting house and banners that are set up. It's really an amazing uh, statement and a thought. It says in Psalm chapter 20, we will set up our banners. So in our life, we set up banners of which we choose. And then in our relationship with God and Christ, He sets up banners over us that He chooses. So the banners are very, very important. They're in the sanctuary. Uh, they're also in the banqueting house. And a banner is a flag, if you will, a standard, as it's called, on top of a pole. It's a signal used in war to direct uh, certain parts of the armies to do certain things. It gives commands. Could be a military uh, division as a standard. Could be the tribes of Israel, the sacred emblem, if you will. But every banner is on purpose, and it has great significance and it represents a cause. There is a cause, something worth living for, has deep meaning. And this banner which is set up, whether we set it up or God sets it up uh, in a, His relationship with us. 
This should become a theme in our life, and it should really begin to dominate our life because without that banner, there's really no purpose. So the, the banner reveals, manifests, this internal invisible purpose of life and the will of God for our life. Amen. Now, I've said this many times in the past. I'll say it again. There is a danger in familiarity. As time passes, when you become familiar with a certain place, a person, a family, in your marriage, uh, at your place of employment, uh, where you live, your home, you could take that for granted. There's a danger of familiarity with your, uh, your Savior and His great salvation in your life. And occasionally, we're to remember the pit from where which we're digged. Right. Now, what I, I did a lot of contemplation recently. So think about, if you could, what, where were you when you came to Christ? What would you, was your life like before you got right with Him? Where would you be now without Him in all this time that's transpired? And, you know, a lot of us could maybe say, I, I might be dead. There's a chance. Or I could be a street person. I don't know. I could be out there in the world uh, blinded. I could be some type of an addict. So we need to contemplate. And when you begin to think about that and stir it up by way of remembrance, you can be more appreciative of the banner that God has set up in your life. Right. And this banner relates to His banqueting house. Now, if you had a, if, if you in your home, you choose who you invite. It ought to be someone that you enjoy spending time with, or there's some type of fellowship, there's a relationship with that person. You have at least some of the same interests, and you're willing to share your home through hosp hospitality, your food, and all that the Lord has uh, given you. And when we think about what He's done for us, those who were blind, undone, children of wrath, out in the world, now He has uh, redeemed us, and now we are invited into the banqueting house. Amen. Now you have to realize the context. For someone to try to enter the banqueting house without an invitation, it was most likely certain death. We have an invitation. Not only the invitation, He brought us in. Yeah. Not only did He invite us in, He literally brought us in Good. to Amen. the banqueting Amen. house. So, the Old Testament, New Testament revealed, uh, New Testament, uh, or excuse me, concealed, New Testament, Old Testament revealed. There is a relationship here. There are many, many deep truths which are in the book of Song of Solomon, and uh, some people find this difficult to ascertain, but it's really not once you, you understand it. But this text is so significant that it ought to change your life. That's how important it is. This is a deep, abiding, intimate relationship between God and His people, specifically between Christ and His church. It ought to be uh, enriching, fulfilling, 
And it ought to cause us to pause. And when you see, you do nothing. And you think about it. It can get you back to where you ought to be. It can, it can humble you. It can make you more thankful. It'll give you more zeal. And once you realize your status, he brought you to the banqueting house. It's really an amazing thing. So when some people interpret the, the Song of Solomon, some think of it only as poetic allegories. It's much, much more than that. Others see it uh, as Jehovah and his relationship with his chosen people, Israel. That's not true. The truth is, it's a mystery uh, between, it reveals the intimacy between Christ and his church. So it's filled with secrets of the biblical marriage. We are espoused unto him. Amen. So when you receive Christ, you accept the proposal. He will bring you into the banqueting house. Now, when you think about Solomon, the Shulamite girl, uh, and you think about this word Shulamite, it's, it's an interesting word. It means to be peaceful, and it's a pet name. For, you know, so if you have your wife and you call her uh, honey or uh, sweetie pie, no, that's kind of cheesy. Well, whatever you call yours, uh, if you have one, hopefully it's a good one. Um, but really, that's, that's what it means. Uh, and so he brings us in and just go through the, uh, the story here. Most, some of us know this. But in the first chapter of the Song of Solomon, um, it's, it's very, very special when, when you see how you relate to this and it relates to you. So we know that Solomon was uh, inherited the throne after his father, David. His wealth was unmatched. Unlimited resources. His wisdom was unparalleled. No one had any uh, inkling of the knowledge and the wisdom that he had, which was given by God. All of the power, all of the resources were within his control. He had this reputation, the greatest king, the richest king at that time who had ever lived and was on the planet. And his prestige was beyond compare. So to be invited to his banqueting house would make an invitation to the White House seem very insignificant. It'd be nothing. It'd be absolutely nothing in compared to being invited to the banqueting house, but actually being brought in. So Solomon's fame, it went out into all the known world. The Queen of Sheba came and said, I have to see if this is true. This, this is too good to be true. He seems too wise and too powerful and too wealthy. She went and saw, and she said, it's true. The half has not been told. But So he owned so much land that he would sublease the land to what we would call a tenant farmer. And so they would bring in the, uh, the produce and the tithe to the storehouse, and Solomon, it says he had a, a vineyard in Belhaman, which is a, a place in Ephraim. Uh, 
And this was the route that all the caravans took. So if you think about the major highway, went past this area, there was a woman of lower status. Remember, they, it was a type of a caste system. She was a farm worker, the Shulamite girl. She was the eldest of her siblings, but she's forced to work out in the sun. Now remember, in those days, uh, to, to have a suntan was looked down upon. In our society, people want skin cancer as soon as they can get it. So they're out there trying, laying out, laying out, I never, laying out, trying to get that copper tone tan. And, uh, but back then, it was looked down upon because you were considered lower caste. Uh, you know, in, in the medieval times, you had the, the royalty, the earls, and the sirs, and so forth, the dukes. And then you had the serfs, who basically did all of the servile labor. Well, that's what she was. And uh, she has no time, it says, to tend her own vineyard. You know, she, she's not concerned about her physical appearance. She's not worried about the texture of her skin or the color of her hair or her beauty because she has to work all day out in these fields and just imagine her perspective as a servile field worker. And, you know, we have migrant farm workers here. I, I used to uh, pluck watermelons and cantaloupes in Oklahoma when I was a kid. It's very hard work. It's back-breaking labor to be a farm worker. And as she's doing this, she's watching caravans go by. And she's seeing even the royal caravan. That's the king of Israel. What an amazing thing that I even get to behold it with my own eyes. I've heard about this. And there it is in the king uh, with all of the, uh, the royal proceedings and, and the, the soldiers and all the array and the pomp and circumstance as it would go by. So one day Solomon is passing by and he looks over and he sees her beauty, her raw beauty, in the way that God made her, her natural beauty, and he, he loves her. This is really an amazing story, and this is a picture that we were out there serving Satan in the farm fields of sin, working hard labor, dirt under our fingernails, sunburnt, totally abused, dehydrated, underfed, and the Lord comes by. Why would he love me? I don't know. Why would he love you? You know, woe be unto those who are entitled and think for some reason they deserve the love of God. He loves the unlovely. So he sees this Shulamite girl and he realizes if I go up to her in my royalty, she might accept my invitation because of an ulterior motive of what she'll get out of it. He says, I want her to love me for me. I want her to know who I am. I don't want her to try to become the king or get into the royal court. So he disguises himself. He plans this. And Brother Hiles used to tell this story all the time. As a poor shepherd, and he comes up and he approaches her and it says he has no sheep, and she asked him where they are, 
And as the poor shepherd, one thing leads to another. They uh, develop a relationship and they, they fall in love and she decides to love him for who he is. And he decides to love her and accept her for who she is in her present state of condition. And then he reveals his two, true identity. And he says, I'm the king of Israel. I'm so, you know, she's just shocked by this. And so then he brings her to the banqueting house. Now, you know, a lot of times I think because of uh, the high standard of living we have in American society, we, we eat like kings. We take a lot of things. You know, a lot of us have on a silk tie. Came from a worm in China that spun it. Only there were wars fought over silk. And if anybody got caught sneaking out the silkworm, it was instant uh, capital punishment. And I think that's how they got it out. Somebody snuck it out. I don't remember the, the whole story. But that's just one example we live very lavish, luxurious lives because of where we are. This is the greatest country on earth outside of Israel. But Solomon, he invited her in. And she's just awestruck. And she has a place prepared for her at the long royal table in the banqueting house. So you have to remember... It's the royal hall. Only those invited by the king are entered in. Secondly, it's guarded by the royal guard. Anybody who tries to get in who's unworthy will be executed. Next, it's a feast of the greatest uh, on earth. All the, the, the eating utensils, the decorations, it, just imagine how great it, it must have been. And then... The fellowship. Only those who were invited in were, had fellowship one with another. There was some type of a common denominator. And then the banners were hung up all down the hall. And we've seen this. Some of them are rectangular, oblong like this. They have fringe. Some of them are cut with triangles. All different colors, all different designs, and they had emblems on it and uh, sayings that were very, very significant. And the banner over her was what? Yeah. Love. Love. You know, woe be unto me if he didn't love me. Where would we be if he didn't love us? Where would we be if he did not seek us out? And you see some very deep truths here because. A lot of people only want fire insurance from hell. They only want easy believism to come to Christ for what they'll get in eternity, that they won't die and go to hell, and they will get to go to heaven. And that's why he disguised himself. You accept him and fall in love with him, and then you get all the fringe benefits. But he knows if you're in it for the fringe benefit. He knows. He knows the heart. He knows the wicked motives. So the banners were set up. Different seats depicting different people and different tribes, different standings in the society. They were all worthy. So this enzyme or standard 
had a purpose, and it denoted worthiness. So when this table was set, they lifted him up on high, and Solomon would sit on what was called the royal couch. If you've ever studied what a real couch is, a sofa is not a couch. Most of us sit on sofas, but look up a real couch. And um, everything he had in his hospitality was given to all those who were brought into the banqueting house. You know, it's kind of like... Uh, when Lot was warned to get out of the city and they hesitated, then the, the angel had to grab them and bring them out of the city. They lingered. Uh, she was literally brought in. Now, you know, sometimes you don't feel worthy. You don't say, why would I be allowed to go there? What, my, the best clothes I have is Wrangler's blue jeans or what. I don't deserve to go into the royal banquet. And maybe she kind of hesitated and thought, I'm not worthy. I don't fit in. I'm, I'm not that high in society. But she was literally brought in. So when you think about this little Shulamite girl, undeserving, a farm worker, dark, sunburned, unkept, probably her hair was matted, probably had calluses on her hands, probably had dirt under her fingernails, probably had very, very bruised knees from bending down, working on the field, all these types of things. This relates to us. Right. And, you know, when I think about it, who am I that a king should bleed and die for? You know, I say, who? You ever heard that song? I love that song. And then you think about the song, uh, God grew the tree that Jesus died on. So, in some ways, Israel was deserving because they were chosen. They had a title. They were called. But, so they were already adopted. We're told the adoption, the prophets, the scriptures, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and by the flesh Christ came through Israel. In some ways, they were entitled. They did deserve to be brought into the banqueting house. But if you think about the Shulamite, undeserving, unworthy, unkept, poor, lower status in society, a farm worker, Israel could say, his banner over me is sovereignty. His banner over me is ordination. It's ordained by God that I'm here. He could say, uh, His banner over me is appointment. This is a divine appointment. He could say, His banner over me is, This is my rightful place or my royal inheritance. But you know what the poor Shunammite said? I'm only here because He loves me. It's really amazing when you think about it. He loves me. Now, when we think about the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we're going to sit down with all the saints of the ages, you won't have to count fat grams or calories or organic won't matter or any of that stuff, and feast with the saints of God. We'll be there, though undeserving, only through the shed blood of Christ 
and the love of God. Saved by grace. You know, I always kind of battle between those songs. I'm only a sinner saved by grace. I know what it's saying, but are you really? No, you're a saint of the Most High God. There's a balance. Um, So, think of the Gentile dog begging for crumbs at the master's table brought in you know just think about it you can sit there you can ask dr ruckman questions throughout eternity well we'll know as much as him then but you know just think about elijah will be there i mean all the great prophets john the baptist will be just fellowship and all those worthy justified by faith but we'll be there because of love. Yeah. Now, the sunburned farm worker, you know, I see him sometimes. Remember the pickle, is it the pickle factory? Can it, man, if you ever go, just go out there, drive the back road to like Savinal sometime when all the boxes are there and they're hoeing the cabbage or the, or the cucumbers. Uh, it's unbelievable servile work. Even with technology, it's very, very difficult work. That's where she belonged. That's what she was born into. Almost like Pharaoh giving us a tale of bricks, then taking away the straw and saying, you still have to make the same quota of the bricks as the dictator uh, of sin. How could we ever have the danger familiarity. You know, how can, you know, it's very easy, I'm warning you. You've been saved for a while. You're starting to get, your life's right. God's changed your whole life. Don't forget where you came from. If you don't know where you came from, you truly don't know where you're going. And some people, sad to say, they don't even know what history is. That's why the world is trying to rewrite history, to, to change and hide what many ha- what happened in uh, many cases? Why they're trying to change the future? This is where we're at now. If we do not stir up by way of remembrance, occasionally you don't live in the past, but just every once in a while, you know, I think about me. Okay, in 1982, I was at the Racket Club Apartments in Corpus Christi, Texas, and what I was, and I was. I was digging in the farm field. I was a farm worker. And then, 30-something years later, however many years, it's been more than that, uh, I, I, I went to college. I just can't count. But uh, that's my saying. Uh, but uh, where would I be if he hadn't have brought me in? Where would you be? Would you be a drug addict? Would you still have your marriage? Would you even have your children? Would they? No. Would you have anything? What would you be? Where would your life? Would you have the hope of eternal life? Would your name be written in the Lamb's book of life? And I want to say this. A lot of times we think, well, I didn't go into deep sin, quote, unquote. So the people who didn't go into deep sin are not is loving and kind because to whom much is forgiven, much is required. Or he that is forgiven of much, loveth much. But 
All sin is deep sin. You know, where would you be if you were a lost kid brought up with saved parents and you faked it or ran from the truth and made a false profession just to get them off your back, so to speak? Where would you be? You would be religious but lost. That, that's probably worse. The most difficult person to win is a religious person. But if you know how lost you were, you know how saved you are. If you, if you realize how hopeless your life was, you can rejoice and glory and give God the glory for how much hope you have today. You know, and I think about it. Uh, when I was there, Roloff Evangelistic Enterprises was about how many miles from my house? Wasn't very far. And I knew about it. And they lied, said that's a cult like they always do. When it's a false accusation cult, not a true cult. And I knew the truth's just right there. And I got to the point where I said, I've done so much, I don't think, I don't know if I can ever get right. I don't know if I can ever go back. I don't know if, if I'm worthy. I don't know if God would accept me. And got worse and worse and worse. And then one day, miraculously, He brought me in. I don't know why. You know, we ought to all say today, why me? You know, and, and there's so much pride and ego in a lot of people. They're saying, well, it should have been me. I, it, it is. You know, and a lot of times people get the big head and they forget who they really are without pride. I'm only a sinner saved by grace, but not anymore. I'm a saint. And he brought me into the banqueting house and his banner like this stand, these uh, soundboards over me is love. Now, this gives us stability, purpose, entitlement that now you deserve it because of the banner, but not because of you or me, but all because of Him. So if you can get the balance between the field worker brought into the banqueting house, given the royal banner, and stay humble, that's the goal. And sad to say, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So, you ever seen military, and I'm, I'm sure like Brother Martinez has insignias for your part of the military or government or Brother Cardinal, you know, and then you have whatever part, a unique training you have and all these types of things. Uh, they earned that. They suffered and worked and risked their life and they earned it. We have a banner of love that we didn't earn. It was given to us because He disguised Himself. You know, I'm through. But he, He didn't come as a royal king and said, if you'll come to Me, I'll make you rich. I'll put you high standing in the kingdom. I will give you a place in the royal banqueting house. No. He came as the suffering Savior. Not attractive. And He said, if you will accept My love, 
I love you. And we love him. We love him, why? Because he first loved us. So you see the hypocrisy of religion with a hidden agenda, and then you see the humility of the true saints of God. So love. We ought to do what we do because our we can say his banner over me <laughs> is love. Yeah. So I'm through. But if we were to testify and you were to come up and say what you were when you met Christ and tell the truth. And if you had a banner that signified that, some of us would say, I'm a thief. I'm a crook. I'm a liar. I'm lazy. I'm a loafer. I'm a sluggard. I'm disrespectful to my parents and authority. I'm a drug addict. I'm a drunk. That's my banner. I have no hope. No hope. I'm ashamed of what I'd have to say of what I, what I was back then. But praise the Lord now. Everything He's done for us, everything He's worked in our life is why? His banner over me is love. Right? His banner, how do you do it? Over me, I don't remember. Is love. He loves me. So, don't forget it. If you forget it, there's a day. If you forget the day you met your wife or husband and you were in puppy love and you courted and how exciting it was, if you forget that, the danger of familiarity can cause you to grow cold and distant and hardened and you take them for granted. But if you can remember back, you don't live there, but every once in a while, take out the Valentine letters and how gushy they were. You'll get embarrassed and uh, letters. And if you, can, if you can remember that, you can appreciate now and later on. And if you can remember, you're just a farm worker. You know, you're not a, you're not a whatever you think you are. You're a farm worker that got saved by grace through faith. All right, let's bow our heads, close our eyes. You know, this, this really helps me. Uh, I think about it a lot. It'll help us to walk humbly with our God.